0: Section eight of Stories from the Fairy Queen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maya Hansen. Stories from the Fairy Queen by Mary MacLeod. Braggadocio. As soon as it was dawn, Sir Gion arose and, mindful of his appointed work, armed himself again for the journey. The little baby whom he had rescued he entrusted to the tender care of Medina, entreating her to train him up as befitted his noble birth. Then, since his good steed had been stolen from him, he and the palmer fared forward on foot. It will be remembered that when Sir Gion heard the cries for help of the Lady Amavia, he dismounted and ran into the thicket, leaving his horse outside. While he was absent there wandered that way an idle, worthless fellow called Braggadocio, this was a man who never did anything great or good but who was extremely vain and boastful and always trying to make out that he was somebody grand when he saw the beautiful horse with its golden saddle and rich trappings and Sir Gion's spear he immediately took possession of them and hurried away he was so puffed up with self-conceit that he felt now as if he were really some noble knight and he hoped that everyone else would think the same of him He determined to go first to court, where he thought such a gallant show would at once attract notice and gain him favor. Bragadocio had never been trained in chivalry. He rode very badly, and could not manage Sir Gion's splendid high-spirited horse in the least. He managed, however, to stick on somehow, and presently seeing a man sitting on a bank by the roadside, and wishing to show off, he rode at him, pretending to aim at him with his spear. The silly fellow fell flat down with fear, crying out for mercy. Braggadocio was very proud and delighted at this, and shouted at him in a loud voice, Die, or yield thyself my captive! The man was so terrified that he promised at once to become Braggadocio's servant. So the two went on together. They were excellently well-suited, for both were vain and false and cowardly. While Braggadocio tried to get his own way by bluster and his companion by cunning. trumpart or deceit, for that was the man's name, speedily discovered the folly of his master. He was very wily witted and well accustomed to every form of cunning trickery, and, to suit his own purpose, he flattered up Braggadocio and did all he could to encourage his idle vanity. Presently, as the two went along, they met the wicked magician Archimago or hypocrisy, who was now just as angry with Sir Gion as he had been before with the Red Cross knight. When he saw Braggadocio he thought he had found a good opportunity to be revenged on both the knights, and, going up to him, he asked if he would be willing to fight them. Braggadocio immediately pretended to fall into a great rage against them, and said he would slay them both. Then Archimago, seeing that he had no sword, warned him that he must arm himself with the very best weapons for they were two of the mightiest warriors living silly old man said braggadocio boastfully stop giving advice isn't one brave man enough without sword or shield to make an army quail you little know what this right hand can do once when i killed seven knights with one sword i swore thenceforward never to wear a sword in battle again unless it could be the one that the noblest knight on earth wears good said the magician quickly that sword you shall have very shortly for now the best and noblest knight alive is prince arthur who lives in the land of the fairy queen he has a sword that is like a flaming brand I will undertake that by my devices this sword is found to-morrow at your side. At these words the boaster began to quake, for he could not think who it was that spoke like this. Then Archimago suddenly vanished, for the north wind at his command carried him away, lifting him high into the air. Braggadocio and Deceit looked all about, but they could find no trace of him. Nearly dead with fright, they both fled, never turning to look round, till, at last, they came to a green forest where they hid themselves. Even here fear followed them, and every trembling leaf and rustle of the wind made their hair stand on end. FURIES CAPTIVE As Sir Guillaume and his guide, the Black Palmer, went on their way, they presently saw at some distance what seemed to be a great uproar and commotion. Hurrying near they found a big, savage man dragging along and beating a handsome youth. An ugly old woman followed them, shouting and railing and urging the man not to let go the youth, but to treat him worse and worse. The name of the bad man was Fury. The old woman was his mother and was called Cajun. The youth was a young squire named Phaeon. Fury had Phaon completely in his power, but in his blind and senseless rage he scarcely knew what he was about and spent half his force in vain. He often struck wide of the mark, and frequently hurt himself unawares like a bull rushing at random, not knowing where he hits and not caring whom he hurts. When Sir Gion saw the sad plight of the young squire he ran to help him, but Fury grappled with the knight and flung him to the ground. Sir Gion sprang to his feet and drew his sword, but, seeing this, the palmer cried, "'Not so, O Gion! Never think the monster can be mastered or destroyed in that fashion. He is not a foe to be wounded by steel or overthrown by strength. This cruel wretch is Fury, who works much woe and shame to knighthood. That old hag, his mother, is the cause of all his wrath and spite.' Whoever will conquer Fury must first get hold of occasion and master her. When she is got rid of, or strongly withstood, Fury himself is easily managed. But she is very difficult to catch, for her hair hangs so thickly over her eyes it is often impossible to know her, and when she has once slipped past you can never overtake her. When Sir Gion heard this he left Fury and went to catch occasion. All happened, as the palmer said. Directly the wicked old woman was captured, and her angry tongue silenced, her son turned to fly. Sir followed and soon made him prisoner, but even when bound in iron chains Fury kept grinding and gnashing his teeth, shaking his copper-colored locks, and threatening revenge. Then Sir turned to the young squire and asked him how he had fallen into the power of such a wretch. said all his misfortunes arose from his giving way to wrath and jealousy he had a dear friend about whom malicious stories were told and without waiting to find out whether or not they were true he killed this friend in sudden anger when he discovered that he had been misled and that his friend was innocent he was filled with grief and swore to be revenged on the two people who had deceived him To one he gave a deadly draught of poison, and the other he was pursuing with a drawn sword when he himself was overtaken by fury who completely mastered him. "'As long as I live,' he ended, "'I shall never get over the agony caused me by grief and fury.' "'Squire,' said Sir Gion, "'you have suffered much, but all your ills may be softened if you do not give way to such violence.' "'Then,' said the palmer,' "'Wretched is the man who never learns to govern his passions. "'At first they are feeble and can be easily managed, "'but through lack of control they lead to fearful results. "'Fight against them while they are young, "'for when they get strong they do their best to overcome all the good in you. "'Ungoverned wrath, jealousy, and grief have been the cause of this squire's downfall.' "'Unlucky, Phaon," said Sir Gion, since you have fallen into trouble through your hot, impatient disposition, henceforth take heed and govern your ways carefully, lest a worse evil come upon you. While Sir Gion spoke, they saw far off a man running towards them, whose flying feet went so fast that he was almost hidden in a cloud of dust. The Anger of Fire The man soon reached Sir Gion and the palmer, hot, panting, and breathless. He was a bold-looking fellow, not in the least abashed by Sir Gion, but casting scornful glances at him. Behind his back he bore a brazen shield, which looked as if it belonged to some famous knight. On it was drawn the picture of a flaming fire, round which were the words, Burnt? I do burn. In his hand the man carried two sharp and slender darts tipped with poison. When he came near he said boldly to Gion, "'Sir knight, if you be a knight, I advise you to leave this place at once in case of further harm. If you choose to stay, you do so at your own peril.' Sir Gion wondered at the fellow's boldness, though he scorned his idle vanity. He asked him mildly why any harm should come to him if he remained. "'Because,' replied the man, "'there is now coming, and close at hand, a knight of wondrous power.' who never yet met an enemy without doing him deadly harm or frightening him dreadfully. You need not hope for any better fate if you choose to stay." "'What is his name?' said Sir And where does he come from?" "'His name is Pyrocles, which means the anger of fire,' was the answer. And he is called so from his hot and cruel temper. He is the brother of Simocles, which means the anger of the sea-waves, for Cymocles is wild and revengeful. They are the sons of malice and intemperance. I am Strife, the servant of Pyrocles, and I find work for him to do and stir him up to mischief. Fly, therefore, from this dreadful place, or your foolhardiness may bring you into danger.' "'Never mind about that,' said Sergion. "'But tell me whither you are now bound.' for it must be some great reason that makes you in such a hurry. "'My master has sent me to seek out occasion,' said Strife. "'He is furious to fight, and woe betide the man who first falls in his way.' "'You must be mad,' said the palmer, "'to seek out occasion and cause for Strife. "'She comes unsought, and follows even when shunned, "'happy the man who can keep away from her. "'Look!' said sir gion yonder she sits bound take that message to your master at this strife grew very angry and seizing one of his darts he hurled it at sir gion the knight caught it on his shield whereupon strife fled away and was soon lost to sight not long after sir gion saw a fierce-looking knight riding swiftly towards him His armor sparkled like fire, and his horse was bright red and champed and chafed at his bit as his master spurred him roughly forward. This was Pyrocles. Not waiting to speak, he furiously attacked Sergion, but after a sharp battle he was utterly defeated and obliged to beg for mercy. This Sergion courteously granted, and asked the reason why Pyrocles had attacked him so fiercely. The knight replied it was because he had heard that Sir Gion had taken captive a poor old woman, and chained her up. He demanded that she and her son Fury should be set free. "'And is that all that has so sorely displeased you?' said Sir Gion, smiling. "'There they are. I hand them over to you.' Pyrocles, delighted, rushed to set free the captives, but they were scarcely untied before their rage and spite burst forth with double fury they did everything they could to make pyrocles and sergion fight again they not only railed against sergion for being the conqueror but also against pyrocles for allowing himself to be conquered sergion stood apart and refused to be drawn into the quarrel but pyrocles could not help getting enraged and he and fury were soon in the midst of a terrible fight seeing that pyrocles was getting the worst of it sergion would have gone to his help but the palmer held him back and refused to let him interfere. "'No,' he said firmly, "'it is idle for you to pity him. He has brought this trouble upon himself by his own folly and wilfulness, and he must now bear the punishment.' So, as there was nothing more to be done, Sir Gion and the palmer started again on their journey. THE IDLE LAKE In the course of their journey Sir Gion and the palmer came at last to the shores of a great lake. The water of this lake was thick and sluggish, unmoved by any wind or tide. In the midst of it floated an island, a lovely plot of fertile land, set like a little nest among the wide waves. The island was full of dainty herbs and flowers, beautiful trees with spreading branches, and with birds singing sweetly on every branch. But everything there, The flowers, the trees, and the singing birds only served to tempt weak-minded people to be slothful and lazy. Lying on the soft grass in some shady dell they forgot there was any such thing as work or duty, and cared for nothing but to sleep away the time in idle dreams. Up to the present Sergion had only had to face adventures of a stern and painful kind, but now he was to be put to quite a different test. Would he fall prey to the sloth and luxury of this island, or would he remain faithful to his knightly duty? When Sir Gion and his companion Conscience came to the shore of the lake, they saw floating near a little gondola, all decked with boughs. In the gondola sat a beautiful lady, amusing herself by singing and laughing loudly. She came at once when Gion called, and offered to ferry him across the lake but when the knight was in the boat she refused to let the palmer get in, and neither money nor entreaties would induce her to take the old man with them. Sir Guyon was very unwilling to leave his guide behind, but he could not go back, for the boat, obeying the lady's wish, shot away more swiftly than a swallow flies. It needed no oar nor pilot to guide it, nor any sails to carry it with the wind. It knew how to go exactly where its owner wanted, and could save itself both from rocks and shoals. The name of the lady in the gondola was Fetria. She was one of the servants of the wicked enchantress Acrasia, whom Sir Gion was now on his way to attack. She hoped that the beautiful island would entrap the knight, and make him delay his journey and forget his purpose. On the way, as was her custom, she began joking and laughing loudly, thinking this would amuse her guest. Sir Gion was so kind and courteous that he was quite ready to join in any real merriment. But when he saw his companion grow noisier and sillier every moment, he began to despise her, and did not care to share her foolish attempts at fun. But she went on still in the same manner till at last they reached the island. When Sir Gion saw this land, he knew he was out of his way, and was very angry. "'Lady,' he said, you have not done right to me to mislead me like this when I trusted you. There was no need for me to have strayed from my right way. Fair sir, she said, do not be angry. He who travels on the sea cannot command his way, nor order wind and weather at his pleasure. The sea is wide, and it is easy to stray on it. The wind is uncertain. But here— "'You may rest a while in safety, till the season serves to attempt a new passage. "'Better be safe in port than on a rough sea,' she ended laughingly. Sergion was not at all pleased, but he checked his anger and stepped on shore. Fedria at once began to show off all the delights of the island, which grew in beauty wherever she went.' the flowers sprang freshly, the trees burst into bud and early blossom, and a whole chorus of birds broke into song. And the lady, more sweetly than any bird on bough, would often sing with them, surpassing as she easily could, their native music with her skilful art. She strove, by every device in her power, so to charm Sir Gion that he would forget all deeds of daring and his knightly duty. But Sir Gion was wise, and took care not to be carried away by these delights, though he would not seem so rude as to despise anything that a gentle lady did to give him pleasure. He spoke many times of his desire to leave, but she kept on making excuses to delay his journey. Now it happened that Fetria had already allured to the island another night. This was Simocles, whose name means the anger of the sea. He was the brother of Pyrocles, the Anger of the Fire, whom you may remember Sir Gion had already fought and conquered. Simocles had been sunk in a heavy sleep when Sir Gion arrived, but when he woke up and discovered the newcomer he flew at once into a furious rage and rushed to attack him. Sir Gion, of course, was quite ready to defend himself, and Symocles soon found that he had never before met such a powerful foe. The fight between them was so terrible, that Fedria, overcome with pity and dismay, rushed forward and implored them for her sake to stop. She blamed herself as the cause of all the mischief, and entreated them not to disgrace the name of knighthood by strife and cruelty, but to make peace and be friends. So great is the power of gentle words to a brave and generous heart, that at her speech their rage began to relent. When all was over Sir Gion again begged the lady to let him depart, and to give him passage to the opposite shore. She was now quite as glad as he was for him to go, for she saw that all her folly and vain delights were powerless to tempt him from his duty, and she did not want her selfish ease and pleasure to be troubled with terror and the clash of arms. So she bade him get into the little boat again, and soon conveyed him swiftly to the farther strand. End of section 8. Recording by Maya Hansen.